Haunted Michigan. Terrifying Tales. All I can say is if this is the first episode of the Haunted Michigan podcast that you've listened to, you're in for quite a treat. (laughs) Even if it's not the first episode, you're in for quite a treat. Jerry Hunter is my guest today. As I record this, he's going to be in South Lyon, Michigan, coming up on Monday, October 16th, uh, to uh, talk about uh, his experiences, uh, the paranormal. Of course, he's got his books out, which we talk about, but also something happened inside the South Lyon Hotel about 10 years ago. That literally had the hairs on my arms standing up as he was telling me. Now, you can see the picture of that in the description of the show, but uh, uh, listen to it and let Jerry explain it to you because it's really insane, crazy, fascinating all at the same time. Uh, but got to thank uh, Jerry for uh, taking the time and thank my friend Corey as well, the manager at the Southline Hotel for hooking me up with Jerry. Really fascinating conversation. And Jerry's not one of these guys who just happened along the paranormal train last week. He's been doing this for quite a while as he gets into it as well. Plus, uh, one of my friends uh, had, a, had a person in her life pass away recently, and some crazy stuff has happened in that person's house as well. We'll talk about that and much, much more. It's Jerry Hunter today on Haunted Michigan as we started the conversation off with a little backstory on how Jerry got into the paranormal. I've been doing this for, I would say, around 40 years. And that's because the house that you grew up in was haunted. That's correct. It was uh, 1965. I was 12 years old. My father was a a uh, sheriff's deputy for Wayne County, and uh, things were getting a little too violent for his taste raising children. So he moved us out to the village of Brooklyn and uh, became the chief of police. Hmm which was interesting since he was the only police officer in Brooklyn. (laughs) So I guess he could give himself any title he wanted. (laughs) And he did. And then eventually he actually hired my my brother as a deputy. So it was sort of like Andy and Barney. But um, the house we moved into was an old farmhouse in a pretty good state of disrepair, but it was all that was available at the time. And he fell in love with the place. Um, it needed a lot of work. It had a it had a coal and wood furnace, uh, a little shed out back that we couldn't figure out what it was at first. But then, when we had to use the necessary room, discovered what that was. <laughs> and um, it, if it wasn't haunted, it looked like it ought to have been haunted. But indeed, it was haunted. Uh, shortly after we moved in, we began to have all kinds of strange things happen. I can remember lying in my bedroom, which at one time had only been a large closet upstairs, and uh, looking through my doorway, I could see the stairs going down. And at night, every now and then, I'd see the figure of a man come up the stairs and walk across the landing and go into my brother's bedroom and just sort of disappear And then we would have doors open and close. Um, When it came time to have the uh, ashes taken out of the furnace, we were supposed to take turns doing that, me and my two older brothers. But so much activity was going on when we'd go down there by ourselves that uh, we teamed up to take care of that chore every week. Hmm. Eventually, we went to my father and, and told him, things that we'd been experiencing. And of course he was a very macho police officer and told us it was a bunch of nonsense. And 
ignore it because it wasn't really happening anyway. And so then we went to my mother, who was from the deep south originally and had the uh, southern accent all her life. And we talked with her and uh, her response after listening closely was simply to say to us, now, boys, they won't hurt you. Mm. which told me that, my gosh, mom sees them too. Mm-hmm. And indeed she had been. I can remember getting up at uh, during school hours in 1965. It was wintertime still. And I can remember the first time it happened. I got up for school. I'm 12 years old. I'm in this strange house and things are happening. And I go downstairs for breakfast and I walked into the kitchen, a very large kitchen, and there's another man across the room that I'd never seen before, an older fella, probably in his 50s or 60s. And he turned and looked at me and then just kind of walked a few steps and was gone. Wow. I can uh, remember brushing my teeth and you bend over to spit out the toothpaste and lift, lifting my head back up and looking in the mirror and seeing another face behind mine. Um, those kinds of things were not just happening to me, but to my two brothers as well. My mother would experience thing. If my dad did, he never would admit it anyway. So we never knew. And uh, so growing up with all of those things going on, um, I always wondered why. And it seemed that those things happened more often to me than it did my two brothers. Now, I don't know how much time we've got to talk about things, because I know you have questions you want to ask, but um, what happened was when I finally got out of high school and I went to Albion College and got my degree in religious studies, world religions, and uh, minoring in union psychology. Uh, Union psychology is myth, symbol, ritual, the collective unconscious, those kinds of things. And then I went off to do my three-year master's at uh, seminary down in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, did more studies in, in the same things because I wanted to try to understand why these things happen, why some people experience them and others don't. I wanted to understand these things phenomenologically, relationally, cross-culturally, uh, religiously, from different points of view because I I found them fascinating, Uh, because when I was very young, probably about five years old, I had things happen to me that uh, I think opened me up to experience these things more. But um, so that was that was back about uh, 40 years ago when it all started, uh, when I started going around looking at places, the way that took place was I um, was in seminary and 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 my colleagues found out my interest in these things, and uh, the bishop eventually found out, and I got asked to go to a house in Ohio that was purported to be haunted, and uh, I did, and it was, and uh, in order not to forget my extensive experiences there, I wrote it down in a story form and sent it off to the Akron Beacon Journal just on a whim, and And lo and behold, it became the cover story for their uh, Sunday news magazine. Back in the day, Sunday papers had a news magazine insert. Mm, Yeah. And that is what started people contacting me all over Michigan and Ohio and Indiana. And that led to my going places and investigating places. 
And eventually it led to the three books and the fourth one on the way. Yeah, let's talk about that real fast. So obviously my series is called Haunted Michigan, but your book series is also called Haunted Michigan. And so when did you write the first one? The first book came out, I believe it was 1999. And uh, that was titled, uh, I titled that one Haunted Michigan, Recent Encounters with Active Spirits. And then when they wanted a second book, the publisher said, we're going to call it, and he was so creative, we're going to call it More Haunted Michigan. There's a title for you. <laughs> and then when the when the third one came out, I, I called and asked him, what, were you going to title this Even More Haunted Michigan? <laughs> much, and, much more. <laughs> and I said, how about Haunted Michigan, The Hauntings Continue? And he said, okay. And and uh, the fourth book is going to be Haunted Michigan Confessions of a Ghost Hunter. Now, uh, we're, um, I want to get into the South Lion thing, because uh, just for people that are listening right now, and this is all in the description of the show, but you're going to be at the South Lion Hotel this coming Monday as, as, we, uh, as we, we talk about this. That's going to be October um, the 16th. And uh, that's a ghost story dinner. It's $20 a person with the pizza buffet. You're going to be there uh, signing copies of your book as well as uh, given, you know, like a seminar of some sort. Uh, but where, where do you think is like some of the more haunted places in Michigan? The uh, Henderson Castle in Kalamazoo, I don't know if you're familiar with that. I stayed there. I stayed there about a year and a half ago, and this is before I even started this series, and it's I didn't know anything about the Henderson Castle, but I could see how um, it, it could uh, uh, spirits could attach itself to that place. Yes, it was absolutely fascinating. The, the uh, first night that uh, my wife and I, and and I have three or four people that that go places and investigate with me, of course, uh, the very first night we ever stayed there, uh, our group had rented three rooms for the night because it's also a bed and breakfast in a high-end uh, restaurant. Yeah. And we were told there was only one other couple that was going to be staying there. So I told others on my team, uh, you know, let's not disturb them and ruin their night. Let's just be quiet and respectful and keep things low key and just run our equipment and uh, their room was right next to mine. And so every time I would have to go into my room, I would have to be very, very careful. And I had to go in there in and out many times. But each time I did, I could hear them in the next room. And um, so I was very, very careful that I didn't ruin their night. But I went downstairs in the morning to check out and have my breakfast. And I mentioned to the woman there that I hope I hadn't disturbed the people in the room next to me that night. And she said, there were no people in the room next to me that night. <laughs> my wife and everyone in my group had stood at the doorway and listened to them talking in there uh, several times during the night, but she took us up to the room and unlocked it and showed us that no one had been there, that the couple that was supposed to be staying there that night had canceled. Mm. And uh, she told us that uh, not to be too upset about it, that, it happens all the time there. Wow. Yeah, I stayed there. That's a that's a crazy place. Um, you, uh, give me some other places and, and talk about you just went to a lighthouse. Uh, what was that all about? I went to the uh, Sushwa Lighthouse in Gulliver in the Upper Peninsula, just east of Manistique. Uh, it took a while for me to be able to get in there because uh, they opened it up for ghost hunting a couple of years ago. And uh, there are a lot of very good ghost hunting groups out there but there are others who are very well less than respectful and so they um, they stopped doing it uh, and but uh, since i was writing a book i finally they i talked to them into letting me come in and 
spent an overnight there. That was about a month ago. And um, I was intrigued. Nothing really happened, but I could just sense that that there was something going on. So I asked if I could come back. They said yes. And I and one of my team members, we went back a, a couple of weeks later. So this was only like two or three weeks ago. And um, we actually got a photograph of a, a full body apparition, a partial photograph, just part of their body. Hmm. And um, I, I was in the lighthouse by myself listening to things banging around and falling on the floor above me and uh, actually heard a man's voice. Uh, I hit my head on the, on a stairway going from one level to the next. I was the only one that would go up the lighthouse for physical reasons. Uh, nobody else could, but I, I hit my head up there up high and um and just muttered to myself, wow, I bet this happened to a lot of people. And I heard a voice just say, mm-hmm, it does. <laughs> and uh, that was a little unsettling. You know, it, it, even after 40 years, you, you still find these things can be surprising and, and a little bit different. Now, um, I was just talking with somebody before we started. Um, one of the one of the women that work here, and she said that recently her um her boyfriend's mother had passed away, and they were in there in the house, and like for about a month after after she had passed away, um, uh, there was still a bell ringing, some doors were opening, and stuff like that. Um, uh, and she was curious if like these spirits get attached to these houses, to the to to the to the land locations. So what's your experience with that? Yes, uh, I get asked a lot of questions when I do my lectures, and I've been doing lectures all over the place for many years. But um, I always point out when people ask me my opinion or what I think is going on, that there are no paranormal experts, and I'm certainly not one. But right. after all this time, I do, I have come to conclusions that work for me. And one is that People stick around, I think, for a variety of reasons. They might be attached to a place. They might be attached to a person or persons. They may have unfinished business. And in many cases, they may feel intimidated about moving on. And uh, I think sometimes they die suddenly and don't even know that they're dead. Um, St. John the Evangelist, who is who is credited with have written, having written the fourth gospel, uh, made a statement, and I'm sort of paraphrasing here. He said that um, the dead do not return, but many stay. Mm. So um, I, th I think that's it. I think sometimes they're there to comfort. They're sometimes they're just feeling like they're not ready to move on. Those those kinds of things. And and if they do have unfinished business, they need somebody just to uh, listen and encourage now she said after about a month uh things kind of settled down does that does that is, is that from your experiences is that something that, that could happen as well that can happen yes now if they have unfinished business or if they're attached to a person or place they want to keep up contact is what i've discovered and if they're trying to keep up contact by doing little notice me things yeah. and you're trying to ignore that uh, maybe you're fearful of it or want to just deny that it's happening, but yet they want you to listen to them or notice them. They'll be like a little child trying to get mom's attention when mom is talking to someone. You know, the child will tug on their on, on their on their sleeve or something, and if they're ignored, you know, they'll tug harder. If they're ignored, they'll they'll the little kid will make more noise. I think it's the same way I've encountered with spirits. 
if they really have a need to contact and you're ignoring for whatever reason, I think they can become much more obvious. Hmm. Backstagecountry.com, your online home for all things country music. Country music has so many generous artists who always seem to jump in to help those in need. We're spotlighting five who lead by example and lend a helping hand to charitable causes. See who made our list when you text GIVE to 45911. Text GIVE to 45911 and read all about it right now on BackstageCountry.com. Yeah, because she was saying that, you know, that uh, the, the woman was, I, I believe, 92 or 93 years old, and she'd have a bell at her bed to, you know, uh, ring whenever she needed something or whatever. And, she, and, and and she said that she was actually in the house one day by herself after the, the woman had passed away and the bell rang. It's not uncommon at all. Right. Um, I've sat with people in my career uh, dozens of times with, with people who were uh, very near death and, and sat with them as they died. And, and have had things happen at that moment or just a few moments afterwards. Mm, wow. So like I mentioned, you're going to be at the uh, Southline Hotel giving a lecture of the Ghost Story Dinner. That's coming up on uh, Monday, uh, the uh, 16th. Uh, and you're going to be there early because uh, we're going to try some bourbon first, and then you're going to get into your lecture. Uh, but uh, they got the pizza buffet and the whole thing. Uh, now, you've uh, you the Southline Hotel is is nothing – uh, strange to you. You've been there several times. And, yes. And yes. So for, for people that don't know, I kind of want to paint a picture here a little bit. The Southline Hotel uh, was originally built in 1867. It burned down a few years back. I want to say seven, eight years ago, something like that. And then they rebuilt it. And uh, I've heard from uh, different people that that, that the um, that the building doesn't have the, uh, the amount of aura that it had originally and and there may be a reason for that, which I may get into here in just a few minutes. But uh, tell me your experiences there, especially with the girl that you sent me that unbelievable email. And we'll show the picture in the description as well. But there was a girl that had a spirit kind of tormenting her. Yeah, a young woman whose job there was to come in very early in the morning, sometimes around four o'clock in the morning, just to get things straightened out, cleaned up and ready for the uh, morning crew to come in and do their prep work. And she would be there doing basically janitorial things by herself. And she began to be what she said, tormented by one of the spirits in there that, uh, especially in the upstairs women's ladies room, who would suddenly stand in the doorway. Um, sometimes uh, in other places of the hotel, give her a push or shove um, and uh, frightening things that uh, that after a while she just decided she couldn't continue working there so she quit when i heard about this i'd already investigated at the hotel a couple of times with my people and i asked Corey if uh, he could contact her and have her come in and tell her story and he said he probably could not get her to do so she was that frightened to come back but she did say okay she would come in and so one night my group and I were there and she came in and and she told us the caveat was we were to be no further away from her than six to ten feet at any given time she was that frightened mm -hmm. and after it was it was after close of course and and she talked and told us of her experiences and then we asked her to give us a guided tour through the place and show us where things happened to her we were walking down a hallway, uh, a narrow hallway, single file. She was right behind me. There were two other of my team members behind her. 
And as we walked past the kitchen, she suddenly got very frightened and she starts just almost screaming, he's here, he's here. And, and, and finally she shouted out, what do you want? And she was actually pushed against the wall and then started crying and sobbing. And we took her and sat her down in a chair and she was saying, my back burns, it burns. And um, so one of our crew members lifted her shirt on the back to, to check it out and scratched into her back. Now, remember, she had said, what do you want? Scratched into her back backwards was the word Y-O-U, you. Mm. And uh, it was actually still bleeding a little bit. And so we had to uh, uh, dab the blood. And then I took a f- several photographs of it and I sent one of those to you. And uh, you did get it, didn't you? I did. I, I mean, it's it's unbelievable and it's that's in the description of the show as well uh that story is crazy so i heard that when she would leave the building all of a sudden everything just kind of went away yeah that night she left the building we had to escort one of our people had to escort her home and actually spent several hours with her at her home till she was settled but everything kind of stopped then that night Uh, now on another night that i was there we were doing our investigation and Corey was with us and we decided to take a break around 1.30 in the morning. We went upstairs to a banquet room. And back then, the hotel off that banquet room upstairs had a very nice uh, deck with, with French doors, glass French doors that you could open up and go out on the deck and enjoy your meal and that. We walked into that room. My group and I, Corey, was with us. And as soon as we walked into that room, across the room, the doors to that deck, the handles came down, both doors opened up completely, and then closed themselves once again in in front of all of us. And uh, quite often, it it is when you're taking a break and not really looking for things, things seem to happen. Wow. So um, how many years ago was this with this girl? I'm going to say that was about uh 2013 uh, or 2014 okay so about 10 years ago or so when yeah. the old hotel still existed right i've heard that the the with the new hotel and stuff it's like the spirits uh maybe a little bit more um relaxed or at ease because there's older pictures around the uh, building do, do you find that 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 is uh that's actually one of the things that uh that the woman i was telling you about just a few minutes ago she's actually put older pictures of the uh, of the woman when she was younger and stuff in in the in the house and that seems to have eased things as well. Is, is that something that that you find could happen? Yes, and the and the reverse is also true of that. If there are old pictures in place uh, during a haunting that have been there for for a long long time, and you remove them, that can really pick up the activity as well. Or if you're starting to remodel it picks up activity people yeah. it's, it's like you're changing our turf and it doesn't belong to you sort of thing right yeah you hear about that all the time where people start remodeling houses the next thing you know there's there's all sorts of crazy stuff happening yeah yeah that happened to the house i was growing up in it, you know, every time we do something it would pick up even more and um that is the the single most consistently haunted house that I have ever experienced anything in because, well, I was there most of the time. 
my mother sold the house in, I think it was 2003. And she called me because I knew it was for sale. And she said, a nice young couple from Ann Arbor bought the house, Jerry, I'm so excited. And I said, mom, did you tell them about the haunting? And she said, well, no, I didn't want to frighten them. And I thought, oh my gosh. <laughs> well, about two weeks later, my mom called and she said, Jerry, the young couple called me. Uh, I left some dishes in the dishwasher and they want me to come pick them up. And my mother didn't drive. So she asked if I could take her there. And I said, yes. And so I took her over to the house. And uh, when you've been in my profession, as long as you have, you know that the last thing that people bring up is usually the most important. And I could tell there was something that they were wanting to say, but we had a nice little visit over coffee and cookies and, and the dishes were boxed up. And finally, my mother said, well, we need to leave. And as we got ready to leave, the young woman said, before you go, can you tell us who died in the bathroom and who the people are upstairs? Oh my so uh, we had to sit back down and go through the whole routine uh, once again. Wow. So stuff was happening when they were there. Yes. And they ended up selling the house after a couple of years. Another family came in. They lasted, I think, three years. They sold. Now there's another family in there that's put the house up for sale, I think, two or three times then pulled it off the market. They're still in the house. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not going to go away. It's it's there. I actually have uh, audio of, of people talking, reciting poetry. Um, I've got stories about that place that... Uh, these are the kinds of things people would like to listen to on a dark night at a campfire. Mm. Backstagecountry.com, your online home for all things country music. Award-winning movies often have incredible soundtracks, and many of those have gone on to become country gold. We've picked our top five country songs that have been nominated for an Oscar. Text OSCAR to 45911 to see if your favorite made the list on BackstageCountry.com. Text OSCAR to 45911, and we'll send the link straight to your phone. Yeah, there's that old joke that uh, the, I, there was a comedian, I think he said, whenever there's a lull in the conversation, ask anybody if they've got a ghost story. <laughs> yeah, that's true, because most people do, even though even those who say that they don't believe in it. Well, that's the thing the, 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 the my coworker I was telling you about, I don't think she, you know, she never really gave this much thought. And then all of a sudden her, you know, her, her significant other's mom passes away and all this stuff starts happening and she's not in this world and. Uh, you know, and she doesn't, you know, I don't, I started telling her I was going to talk to you. And then she started talking about this with me. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure you get that all the time. I do. I get that a lot. As a matter of fact, uh, at my lectures, I always have a couple of people who say they simply don't believe in these things. And uh, actually, my team, I always try to maintain at least one team member who doesn't believe, because the best way to prove that there are hauntings taking place is to do everything you can to try to disprove. Mm. And these are the kind of people that can are best equipped to help you try to do that. Now you've mentioned your team a few times. So uh, how many members are of your teams? I thought, I, I, I mean, obviously we we've never met before, but I, I heard about you through our mutual friend, but uh, how many members are on your team right now? There are four. Uh, it has changed over the years. My original team, you know, they retired and moved to Florida and they moved to Colorado. And I, I see them every now and then. 
Uh, so my team has actually changed over the years. Right now, I've got a uh, one member who's a funeral director, mm. and I have got uh, two women who are instructors at Oakland University. One is a uh, instructor in piano, and the other is an instructor in voice. And uh, they go with me regularly. And then I have a local business owner and she goes with me. Um, so I have about uh, four to five people. And if the if where we're going is very large and spread out, um, we work in teams of two and rotate teams from place to place. And so if it's a large place, I'll have to bring in more people. And if it is a very small place, then just uh, probably four will do. Mm -hmm. And now you're uh, you're retired. So do you do you put more time into this stuff? I do. Uh, it's it's gotten harder to do in some senses. When I first started doing this, like I said, I was trying to understand it from different um, points of view, religiously, culturally, cross-culturally, um, those kinds of things. And um, back then, people really didn't want to talk about these things. And if I were called in to help people deal with hauntings, almost all of the time they would say, please don't tell anybody about it. Uh, don't, you know, don't give our address if you write about it. Don't give our real names. And then television got a hold of this theme. And now there are uh, ghost groups in every little town. Mm -hmm. And it's become very accepted to talk about. And because there's such a proliferation of, of uh, paranormal groups out there, some are very good. Others are uh, simply should, in my estimation, stay home and give it up. <laughs> but uh, but it makes it difficult for, for me to proceed from the points of view that I proceed from um, because people think that that I have the same approach as the people on television or some of these ghost groups that that every time a mouse passes gas, they think it's a spirit moving around amongst them. And um, so it's it's actually I actually quit doing this for about four years until I got a few more phone calls from people saying, please, we need your help. And so I got back into it again. You know, I, I'm, I'm not I hope I don't come across as sounding arrogant. I am not a, a paranormal expert. There is no such thing. Right. And uh, so uh, take everything with a grain of salt and keep searching, searching for yourself to find find out what's going on. Well, that's the thing with this uh, series, you know, that I do and I, I talk to people and, you know, some people uh, have have had, uh, you know, experiences at some of the same places. And some people bring up places other people don't bring up. Uh, I had somebody tell me that they thought the Henderson Castle was not a haunted. That was one you came out with right away. Now, I've stayed there. And if there's a place that's going to be haunted, I would think that place would have something going on in it. Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of like you you go to a relative's house to visit. Sometimes they're not home. Okay. Right? <laughs> you go to a, a, a purportedly haunted place. Sometimes they're just not going to show up. Um uh, in many cases, I can, uh, I have been able to go into a, a, a particular place and right away know that nothing's going to happen. 
And other times I can get there and just sense that, oh boy, it's going to be an interesting evening. Now I've been to the Henderson castle overnight when nothing has taken place, right? Nothing. And I've talked to, I've talked to many employees there. I always run into one or two who say I've, I've never experienced anything, but the bulk of the employees there most certainly have. Hmm. Um, interesting place. Have you been to the USS Edson? I have not. Where's that? It's a decommissioned naval destroyer that served during the Vietnam War. It is now a museum, uh, and it sits on the Saginaw River in Bay City, Michigan, uh, at the mouth of Saginaw Bay. And uh, I became one of the uh, tour guide uh, and uh, chaperones there for groups that rent the place for the night. Um you can visit it during seven days a week during the uh, open season. I think they're going to be closing for the winter after Halloween. They do a great big Halloween uh, ghost uh, kind of, uh, you know, scary ghost ship thing every year there. It's very popular and it's, it's a huge fundraiser for them, but uh, it is uh, something that boy scout troops rent for the night. We've done weddings, funerals, We've done birthday parties there, graduation parties there, and it is a very popular place for ghost hunters who will rent it for the night and their ghost group will come in. And I'm one of the guys that chaperones those things because it's a very large ship and you can get hurt on it if you're not careful and when it's dimly lit. And um, I've had so many things happen and so have other tour guides and chaperones on, on board that ship. It's a very haunted vessel. I'll have to put that in my uh, my repertoire someplace I have to visit. But uh, I'll tell you what, Jerry, we're running out of time here. And uh, I and I, I just feel like there's there should be a, another episode in the future. Would you mind coming back and talking to me in the future? I'd love to, as, as long as you think uh, you don't need to throw a net over me. <laughs> I think I'm good. And I'll tell you what, uh, we're going to see you at the Southline Hotel for the Ghost Story Dinner uh, with your lecture. That's $20 to get in, uh, pizza buffet. And, of course, uh, I can hardly wait to see what you talk about. And it's going to be great to meet you uh, in person and, of course, uh, share a bourbon as well. You betcha. We'll share a couple of drams. And that wraps up this installment of Haunted Michigan. If you're new to the program, go back and check out uh, some of the past episodes I've had, including with guys like Todd and Jeff from the Detroit Paranormal Expeditions. Steve Shippey just had an interesting, super crazy story about Michigan's Hell House and a ton more. Once again, thank you so much for joining me. A big thank you to Jerry Hunter for joining me as well. We'll see you guys Monday at the Southline Hotel, if not there on the next installment of Haunted Michigan.